Hey guys, your host, Avery Carl with The Short-Term Shop here. Welcome to our 10-episode deep dive on the Sarasota and Bradenton area, which includes all those fun barrier islands like Anna Maria Island, Siesta Key, really the west coast of Florida. And if you guys are ready to start buying in this market, email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com and we will connect you with our expert agents in this market. I also wanted to let you know that we have some supplemental materials for you guys available on our website. It's theshorttermshop.com where you can go and you can set up a search and look at properties, see what the purchase prices are in this market currently. And you can save your search so that when a property that hits the market in your price range comes out, we can email you and then you'll know right away. We've also got the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA, for this market for the past few years to help you gauge what a property should be able to do. We've got a pretty cool calculator on the website also to help you tie everything together. So lots of stuff to help you along your way while you're listening to this podcast or and or if you just want to hang out with us more, that's pretty cool because we want to hang out with you too. And there's one good place you can do that. It is our Facebook group, same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. It's just us and 60,000 of our closest friends hanging out, talking about short-term rentals, sharing best practices and all that stuff. So you can join that. Or if you guys really just want to talk to us directly, if you have questions about short-term rentals, we have an open office hours call every Thursday and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Now let's get to the episode. Hey guys, welcome to episode one of the short-term show special episode series on the Sarasota slash Bradenton slash kind of West coast of Florida area. We haven't come up with the exact term that we're going to call it yet. Um, Sarasota Bradenton market. Uh, we've got our wonderful agents in that market, John and Christina. I'll let them introduce themselves really quick, starting with Christina, because you're on the top on my screen. So say hello, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Christina, agent uh, with the short-term shop here. My husband, John, and I cover the coast. So we're, again, not sure what we're calling it here, but we tend to just kind of refer it to the Florida West Coast. We handle from Clearwater down to Sarasota. So that encompasses Clearwater, St. Pete Market, Bradenton, Sarasota area. Okay. Awesome. And you guys own a few, right? Yes. And we own uh, multiple. We have six right now. Okay. Six. Awesome. All in that same area or different? Yeah. In the Sarasota, Bradenton market. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. John, you want to introduce yourself? Your introduction will be similar, but. Sure. My name is John McNaught, um, agent with a short-term shop, um, Christina's husband. And, you know, she kind of mentioned we covered West coast of Florida um, from Sarasota through Bradenton. Um, that includes Amaria Island, Siesta Key and up north to St. Petersburg, St. Pete Beach, and the Clearwater area. Awesome. So quite an interesting area, one that I'm not as familiar with as other parts of Florida. So I'm really interested in this one myself to, to get to dig deep because I don't ever get a chance to, to dig deep on stuff <laughs> anymore. So first, let's talk about why an investor would want to buy in this market. So what? let's talk about tourism first. Why do people come to this market to vacation or to visit or for whatever reason? The primary pe reason people come into the market is because of the weather. Um, Florida, or I'm sorry, you know, this area is fortunate enough to have two peak seasons. We have the snowbird season, which is basically Christmas through Easter. And then we have another peak season where people come to visit the beaches in June and July. So um, unlike some other markets where they're really seasonal one side or the other, 
we have both ends of the calendar that we're able to capitalize on from you know a rental perspective. Um, along with that, you know, the beaches are some of the best in the world. Uh, you know, right now, Siesta Key Beach is ranked at TripAdvisor's number two beach in the country, right behind, you know, a beach in Maui. Um, I know the beaches up by you, uh, Avery, are pretty nice too, but you should uh, you should come check it out down here. Um, the 99% pure quartz beach, uh, Siesta, you know, that's like cool to the touch is pretty amazing to experience. Um yeah, we flip flop the beaches up here and the beaches down there on being topping all those lists with you guys. <laughs> right. Either way, you can't really go wrong. Yeah, really can't. Uh, the I the to me the water is just so much better on the Gulf side of Florida than on the Atlantic side. I'm I'm partial though, but it it is. <laughs> it's a fact. Yeah, uh, and warmer. Yeah, that's a no brainer. Um, yeah. Beyond the beaches, you know, this this area has an amazing uh, art and culture scene. Um, oh. You know, there's nationally acclaimed museums. Um, there's the Ringling Museum for the Ringling Circus and Art Museum um, down in Sarasota. Um, there's the Dolly Museum up in St. Petersburg that kind of like is an example of the whole life and work of Salvador Dali. Um, in Bradenton, there's a whole village called the Village of the Arts. That's like... 200 homes of where artists have workshops and uh, housing and art studios, restaurants that people can kind of just walk around and kind of experience that whole art scene. So it's a big part of the, the area down here that not a lot of people are familiar with. Um, restaurants, breweries, you know, we have tons of fine dining, uh, you know, from world-class restaurants to beachfront burger joints. Um, there's There's tons of places to go eat, bars to go drink at, nightclubs to, you know, have a good time. And um, it's there's just lots to do, you know, in regards to that. Okay. So would you say you get mostly vacationers or do you get a lot of like business travel? And when I say vacationers, I mean like actually coming for a family vacation or like people that are just, oh, I'm in town to visit a friend who lives here or a family who or family member who lives here kind of thing. The majority of our clientele is vacationers. Okay. For one reason or another, uh, we do get a lot of other people for other reasons, um, but the majority is vacationers. Yeah, because what kind of intrigues me about this market is that you have those truer vacation areas like a Siesta Key or Anna Maria Island, but then to me, Clearwater is kind of like a metro-y area, even though people do come to vacation there. So, can you tell me a little bit about the how that's different than just a true vacation market? Um. Clearwater in particular, you're talking like just no. any of the, it, or maybe you could separate them out for me on which ones are like the full, full on vacation markets and which ones are kind of the vacation ish, but also other things, areas like little sub markets. Sure. The, the, the barrier islands are the true vacation markets, you know, the places that are directly on the beach. Um, so Siesta Key, Lido Key, Anna Maria Island, St. Pete Beach, Treasure Island, you know, those are the true. Uh, beach market, vacation market, you know, that's really the reason you're coming. Um, you know, when you come just off the barrier islands, there's a lot of other reasons people come. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with IMG Academy. Um, IMG Academy is like a boarding school for professional athletes. It's uh, Oh my God. I used to beg my parents to let me go to that for soccer in high school <laughs> in Bradenton, right? <laughs> yeah, it's in Bradenton. But it's huge. Yeah, it, it's it's huge. I mean, they got K through 12, you know, education programs with, you know, state-of-the-art facilities and top-of-the-line coaching. 
Um, people come and people come not only to visit people who are going there, but they host a lot of like events and training facilities. Like I just hosted an entire girls soccer um, soccer team at one of my properties, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Like there was like 20 of them, but, you know, they come in town for all these different events that they're hosting there. So, you know, it's a it's a big draw to the area that's beyond just the tr traditional vacation draw. Yeah, I think a lot of people who maybe their kids aren't involved in athletics or they weren't involved in athletics outside of like your high school sports teams. But those tournaments are no joke. It's a lot of teams coming from a lot of places and they all need places to stay. And most of the places that we went didn't, it was, well, this was before short-term rentals really existed, but it would be like Washington, DC, Raleigh, Nashville, Dallas, and all these places where we were all having to get different hotel rooms and we were running up and down the hallways being complete, just jerks that nobody wanted to be in a hotel with. But you know, it's really fun when you're 15 and with all your friends. So it would have been really nice back then if this had been a thing where we could have all just gotten a big uh, short-term rental or a couple of them and all been together, but separate from other people who maybe don't want to hear us being loud and all that. So, um, but I think that's something that should not be dismissed is if you've got a big sports uh, like complex, whether it's soccer, mine was soccer or cheer is a big one. Uh, volleyball, like any kind of big tournament situation is going to be a really, really great opportunity for short-term rental owners. And I think people just don't don't realize how truly lucrative that can be. We have um, a big park that has like a 400 acre uh, artificial lake in it. And we get people for crew tournaments, for rowing tournaments that come in every year, a couple of times a year. Um, so again, just another non-traditional uh, reason why people come here, you know, beyond your traditional vacation market um, and particularly bigger groups, you know, so the bigger properties that can house more people are housing, you know, like I said before, whole teams of of people coming in town to compete. Yeah, yeah. We also absolutely. see a lot of like the spring training, you know, in the springtime. We have a lot of different spring training teams that come here, you know, from Sweden, which is up north to this area, St. Pete, um, Sarasota, Clearwater, Sweden. Um, and so we'll see a lot of that travel during the peak seasons too. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Okay. What else? Are there any other types of travelers that we need to be aware of other than just vacationers before we move on to the next thing? Um, the majority of people are vacationers. You know, other people come in town for weddings, bachelorette parties, stuff like that. But, you know, whether they're coming in town for the beach or to play golf or for spring training or to, you know, visit um, any of the parks or aquariums or things that we have in this area, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of a lot of reasons. Yeah, when we'll sometimes get some requests from vacationers that have gone to Orlando for a few days to go to any of those parks there, and then they wanted to head over for the beach for a couple of days. So we'll get a lot of those too. They're kind of trying to do Orlando and then to the beach for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've I've heard of that before. Where if people are coming from a really long way away to Florida, like actually my in-laws, for example, are coming to the panhandle or we're supposed to for our daughter's birthday. And then our son's birthday is only three weeks later. And they're like, well, maybe we'll just go down to Orlando and go to Disney. So I, when people, I did, it never occurred to me that when people are coming from that far away, probably to Disney world, they're like, oh, you know what? Let's just get in the beach right here while we're here too. So that's, a, that's definitely a different type of traveler that is not something I ever would have thought about that. Oh, well, they're going on vacation over here. So they're going to piggyback uh, over here. We actually so see that a lot. Do we do see that? You know, pretty common. Yeah. How far is, are your markets from Orlando drive drive time wise? About two hours. Oh, that's not bad at all. Okay. 
And would you say, I think I kind of answered my own question in the previous statement, but for the sake of answering the question, would you say most of the tourists are driving in or flying in? Depends on the time of the year. Um, during the winter months, we see a lot more snowbirds that are flying in. Uh, you know, we get a lot of vacationers from the Midwest, from Ohio, from Michigan, from Iowa, uh, Minnesota. Um, and then in the summertime, uh, people are coming for shorter stays and it's a lot more interstate travel, a lot more people driving in, whether it's from within Florida or, you know, Georgia, um, 10 hours or less, basically, I would say. So at, at the different peaks in, in our seasons, um, it's a different type of travel or a different traveler profile and also a different um, stay profile. You know, the, the ones in uh, the winter months, the snowbirds, they're staying for two, three, four weeks at a time. The ones in summer, uh, the beach travelers, they're staying for two, three, four days at a time. Let's talk about, you've mentioned a couple of times having two peak seasons. So up here in the panhandle, what I'm used to is peak season is really only the summertime. But you guys, since you're further south, you're warmer during the winter, whereas we, it actually gets a little cold up here. So tell me about that, the two different peaks and what we're looking at there. So our number one month is March. March is, you know, where you're going to make the, most of your money. It's, it's definitely the, the best month out of the year. But a close second to that is July. Um, you know, again, there's a there's a there's a hump that starts around Christmas time and, you know, peaks in March and it slows down again in April and May is a little bit slow. But June and July spike back up for uh, summer vacations. People are trying to take, you know, their beach vacations. All the kids are out of school. I think a lot of people are really surprised by that. You know, when we talk about numbers and go over projections and that sort of thing, or, you know, do calculators with them, and we kind of tell them, you know, what it looks like annually, people are always really shocked by that. By there being two peaks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it shocked me right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about that second peak because I think summer is pretty self-explanatory. So your second peak, are these all snowbirds or are these people who are maybe doing a, just a, like a week winter vacation to somewhere that is, uh, warm. And also let's distinguish the difference between a snowbird and just someone who's coming on vacation in the wintertime. Sure. It's, it's both. Um, I think the type of traveler depends on the type of property. If it's a smaller property, a one, two bedroom property, you're going to get the traditional snowbird, you know, and when I say that, I'm thinking, you know, a, a couple who's maybe retired, who lives up north and comes down for two, three, four months at a time. Um, we also get that older couple who rents out a three or four bedroom house because they want their adult kids to come, you know, one set of adult kids is coming one week, the other set of friends is coming the other week. Um you know, so they're renting the house out for, you know, three, four weeks, um, but having multiple groups come stay with them along the way. So the, the specific travel profile for those months um, does vary a little bit by property, but it it is both types. Okay, interesting. And snowbirds, so we can get into this more in a, a later episode, but are snowbirds typically staying mostly in like one or two bedroom properties or do you see them renting higher occupancy properties ever? Um, primarily, I would say smaller properties. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, back to what I just said about, you know, them renting a property that's a little bit larger and then having groups of friends or groups of adult children or other couples come stay with them for you know, a week here or a week there. Um, we, we see, we see both ways. Gotcha. 
Okay. In my experience, I've up here in this part of Florida, we only ever really see them do one, maybe two veteran properties, just because usually it's a retired couple. Um, but yeah, interesting. It's funny how in the same state things can be so different. So let's talk about hmm, two important things. We'll start with we'll start with the most important thing, regulations. So what are regulations like in this market? So regulations vary from county to county to start with. Okay. So starting at the south in Sarasota County, um, Sarasota County is it's it's a very pretty large county, 735 square miles. Um, the majority of Sarasota County is not short-term rental friendly, uh, meaning it's a 30-night minimum stay. The exceptions to that are within the city limits. So for example, the city of Sarasota goes from 30-night minimum stay down to a seven-night minimum stay. Um, so that's obviously a lot more rental friendly. Um, there's no major uh, requirements to register or get a permit or anything beyond you know what the state requires. Nothing really local until you get out to the barrier islands of Siesta Key, Lido Key, and those change things a little bit. Um, Siesta is part Sarasota County, part city of Sarasota. So part of it you could rent seven nights or less. The rest of it is 30 nights or less. Really? Of course, there's exceptions. If it's a multifamily, multifamilies don't abide by those same rules. So if it's a larger condo building, it goes by the specific rules of the condo building. But if it's a duplex, triplex or something like that, they can rent as little as one night. So it, it varies very property specific out there. All right. And what about Anna Maria Island? Anna Maria's um, a little bit complex as well. Um, compared to Siesta, Animal Maria is very laid back. It's a family-oriented beach town. It's not commercialized. You can't build a building over three stories tall. I kind of describe it as like golf carts and flip-flop vibe. So it's, you know, beautiful beaches, very laid back. Um, the islands, it's a small island, about seven miles long, one mile wide at the widest. But within that seven miles, there's three different cities, each with their own set of rules, regulations, city council, mayor, police force, so oh on goodness. and so forth. <laughs> so you got this little seven mile island that's broken up into three different spots. And at the north end, you have the city of Anna Maria. City of Anna Maria capped occupancy at two people per bedroom plus two. So you can't have more than eight in the city of Anna Maria. All of these areas, you got to register, you got to get your permits. Um, it's not like they're not issuing the permits. It's just a process you have to go through. But the biggest thing to, to know is the occupancy cap. So the city of Anna Maria is eight. If you go down to the middle city, which is Holmes Beach, it drops that maximum occupancy, occupancy cap from eight to six. And there's also a minimum night stay requirement based on zoning. So depending on where you're at, it's either a seven night minimum or a 30 night minimum in Holmes Beach. Oh. So Holmes Beach is kind of the least short-term rental friendly city among the three. When you go to the furthest southmost city, which is Bradington Beach, um, Bradington Beach does not have a minimum night stay requirement and they allow you to sleep up to 12 people um, per, you know, per place. So there's, again, different rules and, and sets depending on where you're at on that small little island. Wow. So what I'm hearing about this market is you really, really need to have an agent who really knows what they're doing with the regulations and the areas and the zonings in terms of buying something. You, you don't want to just go use like an Aunt Susie agent who's like, oh, yes, this beach house is beautiful. It should rent well. Sure. And we we see a lot, too, where it's like the division of between the cities. It could be like your neighbor's house is in one and you're in the other. And then sometimes we see specifically like Sarasota Manatee or Sarasota Bradington, 
there's parts of Bradenton that fall um, in the county and some that fall in the city of Bradenton, which we'll get into those restrictions in a minute, but there's no real rhyme or reason where, where that falls. So having an agent that's, you know, has your back and knows all of those intricacies is super important. We've, we've met clients after the fact who come to us and say, can you help? This other agent told me this was a great place to buy and I bought it. Now I understand that I can't rent it. So or it's 30 days, you know. So again, to your point, it's super important, you know, in these markets where the lines aren't very clear cut to to have somebody who can help you navigate that. Not that you would ever want to have to do this, but in the event that you did convert something to like a medium term rental, is there much of a market there for that? Or is it just kind of like, uh, we'll see. The rental market is very strong. The annual rental market, um, you know, the medium term rental market, I don't have too much experience with, but the majority of houses that I see people buy with DSCR loans are very borderline to where they can cover with annual rents. So annual rents are very strong these days. Um, you know, obviously as rates go up, that gets harder to do, but um, it's it's not completely out of line. Well, that's good news. So if if the worst were to happen, you could potentially still break even on a long term. Or at least be very, very close. You're not going to be shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars, most likely. Well, the goal is to avoid having to do that, but it's good to know <laughs> that the opportunity is there if if you had to. All right, so so back to regulations. So we still have Bradenton and Clearwater to go over, right? Am I missing any? Bradenton and Pinellas County. Um, we'll kind of talk about that one as a whole because that's a whole other animal. Um, but <clears throat> jumping into Bradenton, um, Bradenton is part of Manatee County, um, and the two main areas that we kind of look at are the city of Bradenton, which is kind of like a small centralized area, which does have a small set of restrictions, including the requirement to register um, a maximum occupancy cap, um, but nothing nothing that prevents you from renting or nothing that limits your ability to rent. They just basically want to know what you're doing. Once you get outside the city of Bradenton, which is where actually most of the more desirable areas are, um, it's called unincorporated Manatee County. In unincorporated Manatee County, there's no rental restrictions at all. There's no need to register. There's no occupancy cap. There's no minimum night stay. All they want you to do is pay your taxes. Oh, my goodness. So these are the the areas that we target. These are the areas that we personally own in. These are the areas that are right on the water, but just over the bridge from Anna Maria Island. Um, You know, these are these are the prime areas where obviously not only us, but everybody who's looking down here is trying to get into because um, there's so much flexibility. Okay. Good to know. So that's a great area. And then anywhere else in that county slash area we need to talk about before Clearwater? Um, No, you know, there's, there's areas a little bit further inland that do work well for uh, longer rentals, you know, for the snowbirds, but they're usually governed by 30 night stays or more. Um, so not as desirable, you know, our, our main focus is the areas that are just over the bridge from Anna Island in unincorporated Manatee County. Okay. Awesome. And on to Clearwater, the last little area, I think, right? Yes. So Clearwater is part of Pinellas County and I'll kind of talk about Pinellas County as a whole. Um, it's the second smallest County in Florida, but it is the most populous by more than two times. So there's more people in Pinellas County uh, per square mile than there is anywhere else in the state of Florida. It's a very, very populous city. Um, There's not much undeveloped land. 
It's only about 280 square miles, all of Pinellas County. And there's over a million people that live there full time. So of that 280 square miles, um, it's broken down into 24 different cities. Each one of those cities has their own set of rules and regulations when it comes to short-term rentals. About 50% of them, you can short-term rent in. Um, the other 50, you can't. You know, some of them have rules to where you can rent for less than 30 days, but you can't do it for more than three times a year. So some people try to utilize properties in those areas to capitalize on uh, the holidays, say 4th of July, say Thanksgiving and Christmas, with those being their shorter night stays, and then do kind of a midterm rental or 30 night more rental um, for snowbirds to, to, you know, take advantage of the short term rental market while still being in compliance with the local regulations. It's not really the direction that we recommend, but with people, <laughs> again, this kind of goes back to people who bought in a place where they didn't understand where they were buying. You know, we try to guide them with what they can do, um, you know, as opposed to selling the property. So in those areas, though, there are very good areas um, for short-term rentals. And Clearwater, you know, Clearwater is a popular name, a popular destination, but Clearwater doesn't allow short-term rentals in any kind of residential areas. So just south of Clearwater is a city called Largo, and then just south of that is Seminole. And both of those two areas um, are very, there's high demand for short-term rentals and they're short-term rental friendly. So, you know, while they're, they're lesser known areas, they're still in that vicinity of Clearwater, St. Pete Beach, um, and they do a lot of short-term rentals. Okay. But you primarily kind of want to stay out of Pinellas County, it sounds it sounds like it's just a lot to deal with in a very small geographic area. So that's what a lot of people think. And that's why there's actually a lot of opportunity there. Oh. You know, because um, there's a limit on, you know, how much, you know, on where you can get a rental. So you can't necessarily get a rental all through Pinellas County. It's a lot more to navigate. It's a lot more to understand so some people, you know, a lot of people say, okay, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to go to Manatee County where, um, you know, there's tons of opportunity. I don't have to worry about all the rules and regulations. But because of that, Manatee County is more expensive in those areas where you can short-term rent and there's more competition. So going back to, you know, those pocket areas in Pinellas County, uh, such as Seminole, um, if you're willing to, you know, take the time to identify the location where you can short-term rent and find a good property, you're probably going to get it for a lesser price and you're going to have lesser competition and still a great demand. Oh, very interesting. But you just have to be willing to do the work and, and to know, okay, well, I'm looking at these 30 cool looking houses on Zillow in this area and maybe one or two of them are, are able to be short-term rented. Yeah. And to, to make it even more, a little, even a little bit more complex, it might have a clear water address, but be in the municipality of Largo. So you may look at it on Zillow and say, oh, I can't rent this. And then you really have to go to like the property appraiser site and see what the municipality is. Um, some of them say about 28% are in unincorporated Pinellas County, which is very short-term rental friendly. Um, so you got to dig a little bit deeper, peel back the onion, so to speak, on each property. So it's a little bit more work to find that property. But again, because less people or more people don't want to do the work, um, there's more opportunity there. Interesting. Okay. I like that. And last main... Oh, go ahead, Christina. 
I was going to say, I think the other thing that's interesting here that is is different than a lot of markets that we hear of is HOAs. So the majority of ours are neighborhoods. They're not in HOAs. Like typically, if there's an HOA here, it's usually you can't rent there. And so the majority of the areas in these markets that we were talking about are not HOA. They're just neighborhoods. It's a lot okay. different than, you know, like any of the other markets. I know Orlando, it's the opposite. You're specifically in an HOA and then short-term rental friendly and it's quite the opposite here. Gotcha. So typically HOAs, excuse me, HOAs there are there to kind of protect the homeowners and they don't really want short-term rentals there. That's sure. Right. And the majority of like the areas that we sell, like Northwest Bradenton Islands, there's really not even HOAs there. Once we start okay. seeing HOAs are kind of more out east towards 75. Okay. So. Okay. Good to know. And in terms of infrastructure, so the ability to find cleaners, handymen, people, just vendors in general that you need to be able to successfully run a short-term rental, is it pretty easy, pretty hard, none of the above to find these people? Cleaners, I mean, I, I you know, I was looking for a backup cleaner the other day. I put a, you know, um, a bid out on Turno or, you know, a post out on Turno. I had 33 different bids in like 24 hours. Oh, wow. So cleaning cleaners is, is very easy. I mean, it, it's a huge market down here, you know, vacation rentals, tourism. So finding cleaners is definitely not a problem. Um, tons of maintenance men, uh, tons of, you know, uh, service workers, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether it be AC guys or electricians, um, that there's, there's, there's no shortage of construction and, you know, uh, new construction remodels and that type of stuff going on down here. So there's tons of vendors everywhere. Okay. That's good to know, because I think that's a big hesitation for a lot of people. If they're getting into a market that might be smaller or uh, a little undiscovered by a lot of really savvy investors. And there's just, you know, maybe everything's on a a couple local property managers is them being able to find independent cleaners and handymen, et cetera, that don't just work exclusively for a property management company or, that you're not having to train someone who is used to just cleaning somebody's primary home and and training them on how to turn a vacation rental. So that's nice to know. I think it it makes makes people more comfortable in terms of choosing a market, knowing that it's not difficult to find the people that they need to help them manage it. All right. So those were my main questions for just the, the why episode. We have nine more episodes coming with a deep dive into everything you would need to know about this market. So guys, if you want to learn more about investing in this market, there's a few ways you can do that. Uh, you can join us uh, every Thursday. We have a live Q&A. You can sign up at strquestions.com or you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and get connected with John and Christina that way for any specific questions about this market. Or you can join our Facebook group. It is the same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And John and Christina are hanging out there all the time, ready to answer any questions that you have about their market. And thank you so much, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you. 